Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and a very warm welcome back to Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now in this second episode of Series 5, we're going to be looking again at operational risk this time around with a focus on the impact of cyber on operational risks. Now, we've all seen the dramatic digital transformation in the last few years, but with that digital transformation comes an increased risk of cyber issues. The read across then being that those cyber issues and any increased vulnerability to cyber attack has a knock-on effect to a firm's approach to its operational risks and its operational risk management. To discuss the challenges arising, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Rachel Walcott and Mike Cowan. Hi there. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Um, Now, it is a core competency for all firms, not just financial services ones, to adequately manage and mitigate operational risk. And that operational risk is pretty all-encompassing, and it can be defined as the risk of losses stemming from inadequate or failed internal processes, people and systems, or from external events. And from the breadth of that definition, there are multiple areas where firms and their compliance officers need to assess and reassess the potential interaction between cyber and operational risks. So given that huge sweep, Mike, where to start on all of this? Well, to be honest with you, Susan, I started from the operational resilience end of this, if, I, if I'm honest. If we're looking at cyber, for example, I think that um, one of the main operational risks uh, that firms face, which is pretty much all-encompassing, is uh, operational resilience. Um, now, there has been a debate about whether operational risk and op- what is the difference between operational risk and operational resilience. And um, as you say, operational risk is around your processes, people, policies, um, et cetera, um, um, and the risks that the firm uh, runs in relation to those things. Whereas operational resilience um, actually stresses those risks to a scenario or a point that is beyond um, uh, that is uh, uh, beyond the firm failing uh, or to, to the point where the firm fails to see how the firm copes with that. So so if I just go down the operational resilience route for a, for a little bit, to recap on this, um, operational resilience is defined as the ability of firms to prevent, adapt and respond to, recover and learn from operational disruption. Whereas cyber resilience, uh, the Financial Stability Board uh, define as the ability of an organisation to continue to carry out its mission by anticipating and adapting to threat cyber threats and other changes in the environment, and thereby withstanding, containing, and rapidly recovering from these incidents. So, from an oper- so we have sort of three elements here, all of which are really overlapping, which is um, operational risk, operational resilience, and cyber resilience. And I suppose that um, from a um, uh, an operational uh, uh, risk perspective, that this is um, the firm's cyber um, risk is one of those operational risks, but it is a risk that is very much pertinent to operational resilience 
and therefore the regulators around the world have been very much more um, focusing on not only operational resilience, but within that cyber resilience as a means of maintaining um, uh, maintaining um, um, uh, systemic um, uh, firms with, 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 um, throughout their uh, their lifestyle their life cycle. Um, so, um, so we've got three things there and, um, I'm happy to be guided as to where, where we want to go with, 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 with this discussion. Okay. Um, let me, this is Rachel speaking. Hi, I just thought I'd hop in there, um, on the, the cyber resilience, uh, point. So operational resilience is the ability to recover quickly from an outage and cyber resilience would be, you know, something similar, but also, you know, detecting a, an incident in, and uh, in good time and being able to put uh, some operations in place to, to stop it. So if your bank has been hacked or, you know, accounts have been compromised, uh, you want to be able to act quickly to, you know, stop the bleeding. I mean, most of the time, when uh, you're, when a company or a bank is hacked, what the people or what the criminals are after is pretty obvious. <laughs> it's money. <laughs> so uh, you need to act really quickly to stop the money being taken and also you know, other things that go on, which probably doesn't usually get noticed until the money starts disappearing. Um, which is, uh, you know, your account, people's accounts have been compromised, people's personal data will have been stolen. So that's all kind of part and parcel of it. Uh, you know, another thing that would happen in, in an attack where you're, uh, you know, let's say that it's the kind of breach where they are going money after money instead of just a d denial of service attack um, would be uh, you need to, be seeing where these payments are going to and looking at, you know, potentially getting them back. Um, on the, on the other side, the other, uh, big, uh, cyber threat is the, and it continues this year is the, um, ransomware. And th this, uh, in 2021, about a third of, uh, oper cyber, incidents reported to the UK's Financial Conduct Authority were uh, ransomware attacks. So that was 37 incidents reported to the FCA out of 116 last year were noted some uh, personal data was compromised or breached or a company data was breached. So these are the kinds of things that firms need to be uh, looking at and defending against. Oh, so it's customer data loss, uh, denial of service attacks, uh, ransomware, which is really difficult to recover from. And uh, also just people's uh, money getting stolen. I would add into that, there is the challenge to know when or spot when you have been cyber attacked. Because several of these, I mean, and there have been some very, very big cyber attacks, which I'm sure we will discuss in a bit more detail and the ramifications of them. But part of the challenge in all of this is actually knowing you've been attacked. 
Yeah. And knowing that your systems in some way have been compromised. Yeah. Because that's not necessarily an easy thing to spot. No, in a couple of the cases I've looked at, uh, you know, preparing uh, to talk about this today, uh, <laughs> the cyber attacks can go on for years before they're noticed. And I think when they start, when companies do detect them, it's when potentially there's some kind of exfiltration of, of data or uh, money occurring. And the other thing that uh, cyber uh, security experts still say is that the number one way that cyber breaches occur are through phishing attacks. So that is a fake email or an email that looks like it's from somebody that you know, or it's click here to win some money. (laughs) And people clicking on things that they shouldn't click on, you know, downloading. And that's when the malware gets into the system. The hackers uh, start off in, in one area and move through the system until they find what they want. And like you said, Susanna, it takes age, some kinds can take ages, years for these breaches to be detected. I think, to, actually, so, gosh, that that you could we go down so many of the rabbit holes associated with this, but I think it's worth mentioning that this matters to financial services firms because they are under so many obligations, so many requirements to keep data safe, to keep money safe, to keep customers safe, and if they don't have the appropriate systems and controls in place, to have a a reasonable standard of safeness, if that's quite the right way to describe it, there are consequences. I mean, this this is slightly ancient history, but Tesco Bank was fined 16.4 million for failing to prevent a cyber attack. Now that was back in 2016, but it matters to financial services firms on lots of levels, not just the denial of service piece, which where you know there have been lots of instances in the UK here and around the world where service levels have been compromised, but it matters very practically day to day for financial services firms simply continuing to be able to do business. Um, so I, I've mentioned the UK and fines there. Um, are there varying national approaches? I mean, or or do we have coherence of international approach on all of this? Well. I've looked at the U.S. a a little bit, and the SEC in particular seems pretty active in uh, sanctioning firms for failing to have good cybersecurities systems and controls. And uh, I can put a a link to just one example in, in the show notes. And interestingly, the one example I found... From August last year, they sanctioned eight firms. They were all seem to be smaller um, broker dealers and investment advisory firms uh, for having weak systems and controls that led to some of their customers' data being um, compromised. And the SEC noted that they were all phishing attacks. you know, in terms of uh, people or firms being fined for this uh, kind of thing, I, I think it depends. Uh, one uh, example we mentioned uh, 
when we were discussing this earlier in the week was this hack into uh, two U.S. companies uh, that were holding, uh, you know, financial statements and you know sensitive market sensitive information. Uh, they were hacked by a group of Russian IT consultants, <laughs> and they managed to make, I think, steal 500 separate pieces of information and trade on it, made about $80 million. Um, they, in the SEC uh, action notice, they mentioned that this, the, one of the traders or one of the professionals said, oh, I just turned on my computer and started to make money today and had a bunch of emojis. But in that case, um, the firms that were hacked were not fined. Um, I emailed the SEC and I, I don't know why they weren't. But uh, in those instances, um, the SEC is pursuing um, these Russian traders who they know who they are criminally. Uh, however, I'm not sure if that's going to be possible, uh, but they're uh, pursuing them for cyber and uh, uh, inside, uh, insider dealing, essentially. Yeah, Mike, el elsewhere in the world, what are we looking at in terms of approach? Well, I think, um, I mean, Rachel's touched on the US there, but you, yeah, but there is um, a disparate approach around the world, as you can imagine. Um, um, I think the Financial Stability Board at the top level of regulation, um, the global approach, uh, they have issued stuff on, um, on cyber risk and cyber incident response and recovery uh, stuff they've got their toolkit um which is the 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 seven components and the 49 practices of good practices around cyber incident response and recovery uh, beneath them in europe well the european commission um has adopted one or two things they have revised their their directive on security of network and information systems uh, the nis 2 directive um and they, uh, the, the, within Europe, the national supervisory agencies have got varying guidance and regulations around cyber uh, security. So the European Central Bank published um, their, their expectations for firms on, on cyber resilience, for example. Um, and, and let's not forget that um, a part of the, of the cyber risk and the operational risk of, of banks is the risk of outsourcing and third-party management which again is a big regulatory area for regulators and for firms. Uh, and again, European um, um, national uh, supervisory agencies, the, the EBA, for example, have issued guidance on outsourcing and third-party management. Um, in the UK, the UK has consulted on um, legislative changes that would drive improved cyber resilience. And from a financial services perspective, uh, the PRA have issued uh, their statement on outsourcing and third-party management. So, uh, uh, and then really just to finally, finally to finish on the other side of the world, um, Australia has its own uh, cybersecurity strategy. And in Asia, well, in Asia, historically, the, the focus from a cyber resilience perspective has been on data privacy, data protection, and breaches within that. 
but China has now introduced uh, uh, cybersecurity standards. South Korea has its Network Act. And then there are various other um, uh, uh, legislation around Asia which have cybersecurity implications, like, for example, the Payment Services Act uh, in Japan. So, yeah, it's still a very, from a regulatory perspective, it's still a very fragmented picture. Albeit, when you do get into the details of some of this stuff, some of the principles are the same, albeit they are obviously... Um, seen through the prism of each individual jurisdiction. Yeah, if I may ju- jump in on the uh, outsourcing kind of third-party provider uh, piece, software supply chains attacks are something that cybersecurity experts have been highlighting this year as a, a, a real threat. And in fact, um, there, this uptick in attacks last year some uh, experts are uh, attributing that to uh, supply chain attacks. They're saying that um, cyber criminals are now focusing away from banks slightly, what they used to be the most attacked companies, and are going after the IT providers. Um, they uh you know anybody in the software or an IT infrastructure supply chain. And last year, there were a couple of big uh, incidents uh, around solar winds. We talked about solar winds last year. Um, there was also a GitLab hack, uh, Kazea, and um, there was also there were also some issues around the Microsoft Exchange server. And one company called Picus Security uh, did an FOI of the FCA. They found that uh, 21 cyber incidents were reported to the FCA in March 2021, which was at the same time that the Microsoft Exchange server disclosed uh, critical vulnerabilities. And the analysts at Picus believe that these two may be related, that the Microsoft Exchange server vulnerability and the uptick of incident reporting to the Financial Conduct Authority were related. I mean, they can't say that conclusively, but it it seems like that uh, could be one of the reasons behind it. And just to bring this up to date, there's been a lot of discussion around whether the war in Ukraine was going to make for an uptick in cyber events. And it's funny, it seems like some of the security services people have been trying to play that down in the media, but the actual security analysts are saying, yeah, it's definitely happening. This is something that you need to be on the lookout for. And this is kind of an interesting one I found. There is a company called Viasat, and they're a satellite internet provider. And so here we have, that's part of the digital supply chain. We've got the satellite provider. And they were hit with a malware attack, which people uh, think is from a Russian origin called Acid Rain. 
and it's designed to wipe modems and routers. And so it shut down the Viaset modems operating in Ukraine. And it also cut off communications between uh, German uh, wind turbines and the people who are trying to control them. So this is a, a real thing that just happened in February. Um, and people think that uh, this kind of thing is going to continue. And it seems like once a new technology uh, evolves, the cyber criminals are there uh, attacking it or learning how to compromise it. And just to bring up another pretty kind of disturbing thing that I've come across <laughs> is this idea of data and code poisoning, where just to give you an example, um, threat actors are embedding malicious software throughout the supply chain, including in proprietary source code, developer repositories, and open source libraries. Um, and not only this, this is just a crazy thing. They are looking to infect artificial intelligence, the, the data that is used to train artificial intelligence, which is used to detect cyber attacks. So they get the training data, they tag it up as good code when it's really malicious code. They launch it into the training data that's being trained to detect cyber attacks. So the the AI system is then trained to believe that bad software is good, and then they can just go in and detect it. I mean, this is the way things are going. This is the kind of things that people are worried about now. It could potentially make detecting cyber attacks even more difficult than it already is. And all of which comes back to you really do need to have the skill sets in-house, the governance in-house to truly understand what you've got, where you're using it, how it can be abused in that sense, and to make sure, really, for all practical purposes, you are not vulnerable. I mean, nothing is ever perfect and no risk management system is ever going to be absolutely impervious. But there is an awful lot firms can do in practical reality to make themselves less vulnerable, at least let's put it that way. Um, I have to say that, that the concept that AI can be infected before it even starts doing something useful for you is, is that's a challenge. That really is a challenge firms are going to have to think about and, and tackle. So if we begin to say, well, we've covered really a rather large number of problems here. So what in practical terms are firms now really expected to do? I mean, the risk and compliance functions are front and centre on operational risk, operation resilience, cyber resilience. So what actually are firms expected to do in practical terms about this? Mike, do you want to kick that off? So uh, in practice, um, I think what we're looking at here is some form of cyber risk framework. Um, firms will operate um, 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 firm-wide uh, risk management frameworks, and within that, they will have their operational risk management element to that. 
But I suppose, and they all follow a very similar theme, uh, and and within the operational risk management framework, there will be an element of uh, there will be an element of IT and, and cyber risk, as as we've been discussing today. Now, there are many cyber risk uh, risk management frameworks out there, but if I can boil this down into sort of four elements, which I think regulators will be looking for, and potentially um, and firms should be looking to to develop, so. You have your identification of your, 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 cyber, of your cyber risks. That's the firm's ability to understand and map their cyber risks. Uh, this includes uh, um, uh, uh, things, um, uh, you know, this, is, this includes things like identifying the risk up front, you know, having surveillance out there to, to, to assess what, what's hitting you, to, to having monitoring procedures internally to see where, what the greatest type of hit is to your firewall or uh, or, or defenses um, and also the your your ability to report those risks so once you've identified them to be able to report those risks uh, internally and to the relevant regulators should that be serious enough to, to, to do so uh, and there are regulations obviously around the type of things that you should and shouldn't report to regulators but the first element here is around the identi- the identification of cyber cyber risks now i think this also includes um the um and th- th- this could be placed somewhere else but i'll mention it here uh, this uh, the, the the focus on testing plans so once you've got your arrangements in place for your cyber defenses and your operational resilience de- uh, defenses for example you need to be able to test those on a regular basis uh, and the regulations say that you should devise scenarios that are severe but plausible to your firm and uh, in, in, um, and this should be in mind when you're thinking about identifying your cyber risk. What is severe but plausible to, 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 to that firm? And then extrapolate that out into some form of testing mechanism. And I think that I, I've, I've positioned that. It could be within, within my next section, but I've positioned it within the identification of risks because as you extrapolate and do testing, then other risks and, 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 uh, uh, will become apparent and they have to be, uh, to, to, to be added to, to, to the pot of, of, of cyber risks that, that your firm is vulnerable to. So the second area that, that I want to, 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 to speak about is cyber, uh, is the governance around cyber risk. So, I mean, at the highest level of, of governance, this is how the board manages its responsibilities for cyber risks. Are responsibilities clear within the firm? Have got, boards got the appropriate expertise and knowledge, playing to your point just, just a second earlier, uh, Susanna? Is reporting comprehensive, understandable and timely? As you quite rightly say, Susanna, I mean, you know, boards have to have a mixture of competencies, one of which these days is all around IT and, 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 and cyber. And for other for other members of the board with other uh, 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 competencies, this particular competency may seem a little um, um, a, a little um, grey, a little uh, um, uh, not very easily understood. So again, to have your reporting on cyber risks understandable to the wider board and I guess to the wider organisation, but definitely to your wider board is 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 crucial. Um, this also includes um, impact on things like the cyber risks on strategy, the need for cyber policies and procedures, and whether these are backed up with the appropriate risk culture, and whether whether uh, firms within uh, firm, whether the people within the firm 
are, um, are uh, uh, equipped to be able to manage a, a cyber breach as and when identified or know enough about the cyber risks that the firm uh, that the firm um, 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 has to be able to do their jobs. So governance around cyber risk is, is key. The third element is around cyber resilience, and this is around whether the actual hardware, software, the systems and controls are capable of resisting a cyber attack as and when it happens, and whether the support is there to be able to manage uh, that attack should it happen. Uh, and this includes things like IT departments, this includes things like insurance policies, and it will again include things like outsourced firms and how that interaction between you and your outsourced IT provider, should you have one, um, um, happens and and the 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 the, the um, procedures you need to put in place for, for that relationship to happen should a risk um, um, uh, crystallize. And then the final point is, as you've mentioned, I think, is the the point around actually managing the incident and the response and recovery for that for that incident. Um, now, in 2020, the Financial Stability Board did issue a paper outlining the effective practices around incident response and recovery, and it covered elements around the actual response and recovery part of cyber risk, um, such as the governance around that part, the planning and preparation needed for should a, a an incident happen and, 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 and materialise. Uh, the analysis, mitigation, restoration, and recovery of systems um, when when um, 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 when an incident happens, and then the coordination, communication, and then the lessons learned and the improvement um, um, both uh, both through an incident and after an incident. So I think firms need to be mindful on all four of these issues, from identification through governance through the actual resilience of systems and then actually to their approach to managing managing an incident should one happen. Thank you very much. Rachel, anything specific? I mean, I know, uh, what, April this year, David Bailey in the Bank of England speech looked very much to the future in terms of operation resilience. Anything you want to pick up there? Well, what he said about um, operation or uh, cyber resilience was that uh, that firms have come a long way, but there's still a distance to travel in terms of firms being able to meet regulatory expectations. I think he meant for cyber resilience and operational resilience. More generally, he did highlight cyber risk. He highlighted um, the enhanced risk uh, profile surrounding the war in Ukraine. Um, it's not so. This is something that, as the FCA and PRA go in to see firms' initial work on operational resilience, including cyber resilience, they're going to be checking for these things. And it's something that uh, European uh, competent authorities have been checking on as well. Uh, the most recent. Uh, EBA or European Banking Authorities Convergence of Supervisory Practices report highlighted uh, IT security and uh, third-party, you know, outsourced uh, uh, software and uh, infrastructure uh, resilience. It's something that all European competent authorities are looking to uh, looking at uh, in. in 
to various degrees. Some are very focused on it, some are slightly less focused on it. But the report also said that this is going to be a focus this year of um, you know, supervisory visits. So that's um, something to the, oh, and they're going to be uh, uh, hosting a ICT uh, uh, security workshop this year too. So it's very much um, front of mind in that respect. And just in terms of things that firms should be doing um, in terms of what people talk about as cyber hygiene, I think the big one would be to focus on fish, continue focusing on phishing attacks um, and doing some penetration testing around uh, phishing attacks. Uh, that's something that can help your employees understand what a phishing attack might look like and you know help them distinguish from an email that comes from a legitimate source and not a legitimate source. I mean, the, the hackers are getting more sophisticated there too. I mean, it's, it can be very difficult. But since that is the number one way hackers get in, you should probably be looking at it. Um, just another point that comes up over and over again is timely uh, uh, application of software patches that, you know, throughout your IT system. When a patch comes in, you have to make sure that it's been applied because that's another uh, uh, crack in the in the wall that that criminals can exploit when they want to want to get in. Um, and I think you know another thing that we haven't really talked about, oh, and but is a part of the regulatory toolbox in terms of uh, cyber resilience is the the um, cyber stress testing that here the Bank of England PRA operates, it's, you know, the CBEST uh, uh, approach, and that will be giving the regulators a very good idea of who's doing a good job and who's not, you know, who performs on the on these stress tests. And it's something that comes up pretty much every year. And... Um, I think that, you know, given this, uh, like we've said, given this focus on operational resilience and also just massive concerns about fraud, because any customer data that's uh, exfiltrated by a cyber criminal will be used to uh, commit fraud, fraud and rob people. Uh, you know, this is just... Will continue to be a regulatory focus going forward. It's not something that's going to go away. No, I, and I would add to all of that that this is the sort of supervisory focus that no matter what the nominal title of a supervisory visit is or a supervisory conversation is, operational resilience, cyber resilience, operational risk management will be assessed as part of that supervisory visit, no matter what the regulator has said it actually wants to come and talk about, it will be inherent in the regulator coming to talk to you or the supervisor coming to talk to you, an assessment of your cyber approach to operational risk resilience. And that inherent in that 
is the cyber resilience piece. Um, we have so much we could talk about this, but I'm, I'm very mindful of time. So moving on to the takeaways for compliance officers and their firms, I would actually just take a slight step back from some of this. And you know, there we've given a lot of hints, tips, practicalities already in terms of operational risk management and operational resilience, cyber resilience. But I think you do need to take a sort of step back or a helicopter view, however you want to consider it. Absolutely fundamental to all of this is that you need to know and have up to date exactly what your firm does. Now, I know that sounds as though it ought to be completely self-evident and obvious, but it's not necessarily. Um, Things move very quickly. Things change very quickly. As compliance or risk management and compliance, um, you need to know precisely what activities are undertaken, what data you have and where, what customers you have and where. And the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this so much is you absolutely cannot manage risks if you don't know where they are. You can't have a robust risk management infrastructure, and specifically one that covers the need for cyber resilience as part of your operational risk framework, unless you know where everything is. And to come back to a point Rachel was highlighting in particular, that absolutely and expressly includes any outsourcing, anywhere where you are getting anything done by a third party. You need to know where that is. You need to have the checks and balances associated with that. And you need to have and maintain the skills in-house if um, if what you are doing is outsourcing your cyber, uh, your software development, you need to have the skills in-house to be able to make sure that you have the oversight for what that software is doing. That is your best and fighting chance to counter the artificial intelligence with the malware inherent in it. And on that cheerful takeaway, Rachel, <laughs> takeaway for you? Uh, I would emphasize Mike's point about the severe but plausible approach to risk assessment. Um, when the worst happens, how will a firm be able to bounce back and what services must be prioritized? And Spoiler alert, it's all about the customers, not about you. Uh, the FCA had a webinar a few months ago. Uh, they were scratching their heads that some firms seem to think that um, getting payroll up and running after some kind of operational incident or cybersecurity incident was of the utmost importance. And they just said, no, it's uh, serving your customers. No, I think that's... <laughs> That's very valid indeed. Mike, takeaways from your perspective? Um, so I think I'm just going to advocate uh, uh, vigilance and continual uh, working of this particular muscle, uh, the risk, the cyber risk muscle. Um, I think that many firms, um, I mean, cyber risk has been around for a long time or IT risk or, you know, whatever its predecessors were called. And so firms has sort of prepared it to a degree in in, in some of these disciplines. Yes, the uh, uh, it's the, the onus has been ratcheted up considerably, um, especially in the UK with the operational resilience um, uh, policy that came in last year, and the deadline has just passed. Um, but but I think that this con- this continually needs to be reviewed and worked and embedded w- 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 within the firm. 
Um, I think I, I think that um, um, and I think to pick up on points from both of what you and uh, Rachel have said um, is that um, uh, yes, firms need to know that uh, compliance officers need to know their firm, IT guys need to know their firm, especially from a, a, an IT cyber risk perspective, uh, and that can be very difficult, especially when a fast moving firm. Um, where where uh, customer bases change on a daily, weekly basis, or um, acquisitions are made, and there is legacy um, uh, customers and um, and uh, systems in 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 play, and so um, I just underline what Susanna has said, and that's also part of my vigilance point about please keep on top of all of the all all, all of this stuff. And I think from a, from from Rachel's perspective, I think that's what was interesting from the David Bailey speech on on operational resilience that um, uh, Rachel explained earlier. In that, from their takeaways from this one, from an operational resilience perspective, were that out of the three things that the the the, the that the PRA's policy requires, that is, identification of important business services. Uh, um, identification of impact tolerances on those services and then the mapping and testing of those uh, services um, it was a, as Rachel has suggested it was very much of a mixed picture in that the PRA at this early stage could um, could give some positive news around the identification of important business services albeit as Rachel says there were still some outliers that they saw more difficulties when it comes to impact tolerances and how and what triggers um, 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 these services to be, to be subject to their operational resilience plans and need, more work needs to be done there, and uh, and and yet on the mapping and testing the bottom line was it was too early to tell, so. Um, so from all of those three perspectives, again, there just needs to be more work done, more effort, more development through the cyber risk, uh, cyber resilience piece, through the operational resilience piece and into the firm's operational risks. Thank you very much indeed. So thank you, Mike. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. As ever, do hope you found it both interesting and useful. We'll include the links to the various bits and pieces referenced in the podcast in the episode notes. And as usual, I'll include a link for further information on Thompson Reuters' regulatory intelligence itself. Last but not least, as ever, also very much appreciate if you could take the time to review the podcast and do let us know any suggestions for future topics. Thank you for listening. Compliance Clarified. A podcast by Thompson Reuters' regulatory intelligence.